and welcome to the Arts Equator Theatre Podcast. I have with me some special guests uh, who will introduce themselves soon. But first, I'm Nabila. I am a playwright, editor and writer and the former editor of Arts Equator. Uh, I'm Dia Hakim. I go by they, them pronouns and I am a NAFA graduate, a performer and a playwright. Hi everybody, I'm Kari. I use she, her pronouns. I am the intermittent resident critic at Arts Equator. I'm also a dramaturg, researcher and educator. I'm very glad to have Adia and Kori on this episode and we are going to be covering SIFA, Singapore International Festival of the Arts 2022 and we are covering three shows today. Uh, so they are Bangsawan Gemala Malam by Theatre Ikamatra, Ubin by Drama Box and Devil's Cherry by Polary and Kevin Tan. So um, we're just going to go straight into it and start with Bangsawan Gemala Malam. So um, I guess if you know Midsummer Night's Dream, then hopefully I don't have to uh, rehash the plot for you. Uh, but essentially, this is a contemporary Malay take on Shakespeare's uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, which I feel like it's a very, very, it's performed so frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think it's just a very lovable tale of like, you know, the kind of lovers, fairies, um, uh, humans and gods uh, and and yeah I think that's why it's so popular and always uh, kind of like remade uh, and Theta Ikamatra gives it their own spin on it and what um, is interesting about it in particular is that they are actually drawing on Bangsawan um, the practice of Bangsawan or even the tropes of Bangsawan but really kind of re... what's the word? Remixing it, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. with like, yeah, just many, many references uh, of like Malay culture, contemporary culture as well, modern, uh, like uh, modern culture, I suppose, um, and making it their own. Yeah, so um, yeah, let's, start, let's stick with that um, and just go into uh, what, what, uh, how we all feel about it. Uh, but maybe before I say anything, uh, before I say anything else or before we go into it, um, it was actually written by Ridwan Saidi, who's a playwright from Kuala Lumpur. Um, and directed by Aidli Ali Mosbet. Um, and, but the cast was uh, all from Singapore, um, comprising both theatre actors and kind of um, performers, I suppose, would be the best way to put it, from like different genres, so like music, dance, uh, drag. So <laughs> let's get into it. Like, I, I liked that, um, I, feel, I feel like anybody could go into that show and completely understand mm. what, you know, people are doing and saying, because I feel that Shakespeare feels a bit confined to like drama school right. uh, <laughs> and I mean for me at least as a performer who studied like Shakespeare for like a semester <laughs> the the only way I could really properly understand uh, Shakespeare was through like intense like hyper analyzing of like uh, like a monologue text, or like right. reading a play over and over and just like right. trying to understand what each scene is like telling me and everything so I, I think it was a good change mm. to finally be like an audience member and like sit through a Shakespeare play and just enjoy it, mm. you know. Um, I think that's what makes it so um, charming, I feel, about Bang Sawan. Because it was a night I felt that captured the feeling of what that play is supposed to be. It's supposed yeah. to be like completely, enjo- like, like you said, it's a yeah. completely like familiar but very enjoyable tale of like, mm. you know, of like lovers and like gods and things like that. Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, I, I, I think I was really kind of infected by the enthusiasm of the yeah, audience members. Yes, it was yeah. so wonderful to hear kind of the raucous screaming <laughs> and cheering, right? Especially, I think, um, in between scenes, they kept that kind of notion of the extra turn where various performers who were so multi-talented, right, from, from all kind of genres of, of performing arts would do kind of a 
short movement as they were changing scenes mm. and it really kind of uh, reminded me of how I think particularly malleable um, A Midsummer Night's Dream is to uh, this, these kinds of Southeast Asian contexts yeah, where, where deities and the supernatural really inhabit so much of our natural world mm. um, the I guess the alam right of, of the environment that we live in and not specific I think only to the Malay archipelago like I've seen a, a Burmese production of Midsummer Night's Dream wow. where all the deities are also kind of uh, the orang bunian in this show kind of the the, the fairies, fairies of the night yeah. they in in the Burmese context they are the nuts or the guardian spirits so I think it lends itself particularly well to this kind of environment that takes the supernatural world seriously so I really enjoyed that right to see yeah. Um, kind of this pre-colonial uh, imagination yeah, of yeah. of mm. uh, Southeast Asia um, as as a power in their own right. You see the the king and queen and the kind of authority they command, um, which made me curious about um, made me think about other other um, kinds of genres that reimagine this pre-colonial past, right? Afrofuturism. What what if? colonialism had never arrived and what right. kinds of innovations and creativities could be possible. Yeah. So I was thinking a lot about that, especially yeah. with the fantastic costumes um, and, and the kind of lavish environment that um, mm. the cast was moving through. So I think that was, that was, that was most exciting for right. me personally. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, I think like, uh, thanks so much for, for sharing because it helps to crystallize some of the things that I was thinking about but I, mm. didn't, I couldn't process. So like, like what Dia was saying about the... Maybe like the stuffiness of how we learn Shakespeare mm, a little bit, yeah, um, because, right? Because when yeah. I was in secondary school, yeah, the footnotes take up like as much, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as much space as like yeah. the actual text, right? And Shakespeare's language is can be inaccessible or is inaccessible to at least like a lot of people who are not maybe studying it as well. And I almost felt like it wasn't Shakespeare, yeah, right? Yeah, and, there was. I mm. guess that that I think that's what lent lent most of the charm because yeah. like. It felt like it was just a theater at its core. Yeah. Like I didn't have to think about oh, it's a Shakespeare play. I must kind of like think about all the factors that go into mm. like making Shakespeare and understanding Shakespeare. I think yeah. it was nice for a change to just yeah. watch a show and just enjoy how, like you said, how infectious the the environment was. Mm. And I I think. It was probably one of the first few shows where I saw so many Malay people around me. Oh. Um, like oh. me and my friend were talking about it because, um, like, like we joked, oh, uh, everybody in their kampung is here. <laughs> but, but it is true because like I I feel like um, I just don't see much of my own community in certain art spaces mm. and. I'm not saying they have to be there, right. but it was nice that we have a show that can mm. bring a community together and. To, to have that community, you know, enjoy themselves, right. especially was a really, like... I think it really solidified the whole, like, oh, theatre is a social social yeah, activity, exactly. and like, it's a communal activity. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I felt like I haven't really mm. felt that way in a while. Mm. Yeah. Although I feel like, you know, that kind of sociality of, of these kinds of... of very broad public performances felt really confined in a theatrical space, right? This mm. kind of conventional proscenium. Because when I imagine the kind of durational bangsawan performances outdoors, perhaps, yeah. you know, then there's the there's a kind of casual nature or informal nature of people like, oh, I'm gonna leave and get dinner, and I'll come back, and the show will still be going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah. I'll catch all the celebrities I want yeah. to catch who are singing at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and here we're kind of 
trapped in the in the theater not not in a bad way yes you know mm. I, I, I i enjoyed the the kind of long span of the the three hours mm. but but also thinking about yeah what what more porous spaces can we have yeah, yeah. where we have that kind of informality like yes okay you know my, my group of friends and i will will linger for this section yeah. let's go by the eat we'll come back the show will still be going on we can enjoy it insert ourselves back into the yeah. narrative um so maybe i craved a bit of that mm. um in 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 the run of the piece yeah. um, and I also appreciated that I could feel certain groups of people were there for certain performers when yeah. they would scream out you know their, their names or cheer for them at particular segments <laughs> which I really really enjoyed yeah which felt like uh, it reminds me of like DK Barat competitions like, oh like, my like, god oh, <laughs> Uh, but Aisha, what are you doing? Like, uh, you have that kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. I think the like the um, maybe unruliness is not the word, but there was a bit of feeling like of like people were free to mm-hmm. express yeah, themselves. I, I think like I guess that was what made the work so effective. Mm-hmm. You know, like it lent itself from just being on like that Victoria theatre stage too like mm. yeah we'll bring you in as well and right. we'll bring everybody in and everybody gets to be in on this really unique experience mm. yeah. yeah yeah I just yeah I think I'm just kind of I'm still buzzing from <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I do mm. think um, there were times I maybe uh, I struggled a bit with the pacing I, I, mm. I was aware I was going into a long work that they were going to take their time with it and, and go down these kind of um, scene changes and segues um, yeah but I, I don't know if it's just my kind of socialization into uh, a certain kind of tightness around performance mm. where here I think the pacing is a bit looser they really took their times with, with, right. with conversations mm. um, um, and I, I mean yeah. I also felt it because um, and for me it wasn't in the in between like in, it wasn't about the transitions for mm-hmm. me like how you were saying but for me it was more like the scenes certain ones felt certain ones felt long because they were trying to keep be loyal to the script that's yeah. how I felt like mm. to the story right yeah. and I don't know why, whether it's like transposing it into Malay suddenly like when you make a scene like long, you you kind of like already know what it's about, and you're just like waiting for it to end. Sometimes, yeah, you know? yeah. Or maybe it's familiarity with like Midsummer Night's Dream a little bit. So then you know, perhaps I feel like certain scenes could be tightened in in that sense. Um, actually, another thing that I was thinking about was like for a bangsawan, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like um like music is meant to be a big part of it, or like mm-hmm. the singing and stuff. But I actually don't recall much of the singing or the songs. Mm. Um, yeah, maybe it yeah. felt a bit like what you're saying, like mm. the like transit, like it was just like knitting things together. Right. Yeah. Um, but not particularly being like pivotal to the plot. But maybe like it's fine, and maybe that's how they meant mm. it to be, la. Yeah, mm. I think um I was I guess um very mentally prepared that I might be in for like a musical, and right. I, and I think because I haven't been to a musical for so long, I was quite like anticipating like, oh, I get to see Aisha Aziz like, sing. Yeah. Uh, and she did and yeah. was amazing at it. But I, Is I think... Aisha Aziz army, army here? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you gotta keep the propagation going on. But um, yeah, I was kind of hoping that there would be more musical numbers, especially yeah, since right? um, like, yeah, I, I think I was just like anticipating more of it. Mm. But I think like when I left, I realised that actually the show could have worked just as well without the music. Yeah. You know, like it could have just been um and, and you're talking about yeah. you're talking about musical numbers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm talking yeah, about yeah. musical correct, numbers. Correct. Because I thought some of the musical numbers were quite charming. I right. thought um there was that one scene between um Lysander and 
uh, what's her name? Hermia? Yeah, Lysander and Hermia. And they had that like little cute couple music. <laughs> <laughs> that was really nice. That was the first one. Yeah, yeah and yeah, I was yeah. anticipating like more yeah. of that between like yeah. characters, but I don't think we got that much of it. Mm. Mm. Which, um, which I'm not saying it's a huge letdown. Right. But right. I was anticipating like... Maybe yeah. it, it felt like in between. It felt like, oh, there's a few, but there's not like, it doesn't feel like there's enough to be like, oh, it's a musical. Because mm. actually now I'm like, was it a musical? Like, did yeah. it feel like a musical? Maybe yeah. not. Um, but maybe that's okay. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think maybe, maybe it's okay because um, at least for me, I'm not very. I'm not exactly the most well acquainted person on the art of Bangsa One. Right. Maybe we can so, talk a bit about that. I mean. Yeah. Because um, uh, so just now I was saying like, oh, it had like modern, like a lot of modern kind of tropes or, or cultural references as well. Yeah. Maybe uh, starting with like the language. Um, I mean, what I liked about Ridwan Saidi's uh, writing was, um. I don't know. There, there was an obvious way in which he was using the Malay language, right? So the like the more royal registers for like the I don't know, the royals, and then like the um the the men and the men and women they would like very, talk very colloquially, right? And like mm. um quite fun. I can't yeah, I can't remember how informal or what examples they were using. Uh, but I think that was like IU, yeah. for example. Yes, yes. And like also like Mat Mina kind of. Oh <laughs> yes, I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so so definitely you could see it there, but I liked how it wasn't conscious. Like it, it didn't feel forced, which I which I feel that like yeah, it just felt appropriate for the social exactly. situation. Yeah. yeah, so I think that was quite nice, like what Ridwan uh, managed to do in with with everyone as well. Um, yeah, and then I guess in terms of the dancing, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not the best person to talk about dancing, <laughs> but you know you could see the modern references yeah. to uh, like I don't know Fortnite or you know or like I don't know Naruto running, <laughs> which is very very cute like. Yeah, but I do appreciate uh, the kind of homage to popular culture yeah. that that mm. I suppose Shakespeare or Bangsawan would have incorporated right yeah. for their particular audiences. Shakespeare was very aware that he was a popular writer, right? And right. He would write towards those crowds with the slapstick kind of energy yeah. and I suppose similarly for, for Bang Sawan as well mm. and I mean I, I, I always love the mechanicals and here they're named mm. after days of the week right yeah. <laughs> with um, Rabu of course all our favourites Rizman Putra who becomes um, bottom at the end with a, with a donkey's head yeah. um, and and yeah, I think the, the mechanicals really steal the show yeah. quite literally at the end <laughs> um, with the, the kind of recreation of of uh, Pyramus and Thisbe speaking mm. to each other through a wall, a fantastic Irshad Dawood as Jinding. Um, but I also like all these kind of shipping references like um, throughout the, the play that I suppose. Oh, I, I don't know, like, like people were, were really excited um, or cheering for the right couples to end up with oh, each other. Oh, going shipping. like, oh, yes, shipping, relationshipping. <laughs> You know, yeah, and it good. really felt like this is kind yeah. of a, a mm. yes, it pays homage to those kinds right. of um, histories of Southeast Asia, but we also get the the kind of um, TikTok generation update, yes. you know, with, with, with the kind of citations of the dance moves and things like that, yeah. which which I found really fun. Yeah. Um, and the yeah. casting of like... Um, Vanda Miss Joachim? Yeah, Vanda Miss Joachim. As Sangkalambai. Like, yeah. Which was like the best, I mean to me genius. it was like the best, <laughs> most genius act of casting ever. Um, like I was actually a bit sceptical, I said not sceptical, but I was like ready to like give discount. You know what I mean? Like give discount to be like, okay, like how, how are they going to do this? But I think that Vanda Miss Joachim did such a great job at, or maybe that character being kind of mischievous, like yeah. just really works well with the Kalambai character being the naughty bunyan. Yeah. Um, 
and then like <laughs> I mean sorry this is very random because it's more, more about costume but she was wearing like Nike gear mm. which I was like I was very amused by like, super amused because everyone else's costumes were, were like so like I'm still kind of like Shakespearean at least in like cutting and uh, like very grand and then here it's like I don't know the, like the Nike thing really took me out in a good way I was just like okay this show is not taking itself seriously yeah. and so we can not take it uh, we can not take ourselves seriously and we can have fun yeah yeah. and I also really appreciated I think the the magical queer character in a very cis hat like a two very straight romances going oh. on right yeah. in, in, and, and I and I appreciated that I think in, in so many kind of Southeast Asian traditions the queer body is a conduit or medium right for, for higher powers that can mm. communicate um um deep spiritual kind of meaning to your life mm-hmm. and, and then you see San Kalambai kind of being that that kind of mischievous playful wonderful conduit for those energies which mm-hmm. I which I also really appreciate that yeah, yeah. So I thought it was like a wonderful homage to the show being like in Pride Month yeah you know I thought it was so apt to have this show in June <laughs> it was just so nice yeah. to, to I, I guess have that space to be both like queer and Malay yeah. you know yeah. I guess it's like the idea of like um sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. No, no, no. Uh, but the idea of like the ungovernable like kind of character who who, you know, like delights like I remember the way she like laughed. Yeah. Like, just I don't know, it's just so just so uh, enjoyable. Yeah. So I just like the idea that in this quote unquote theatre show, someone who is not in theatre can make that role work so well, yeah. you know, and, and um and be given that space as well to to kind of make that role what it was in, in this piece. Yeah. Um, some things that maybe uh, I felt like maybe didn't work as well or like I was maybe I was expecting something different is I feel like the set, um, I don't know how y'all feel, felt about it, but I felt like either the, the set itself or the use of the set was like more static than I than I mm-hmm. was hoping for. Mm-hmm. Um, something about the grandness didn't translate to like the stage pictures and the predominantly the set for me Um, so I kind of wanted more and certain things felt very flat Mm. um, despite the hype of of the set I mean I don't know whether I don't know whether you all felt felt that um, yeah yeah Uh maybe a little but I also appreciate that at the end right when when kind of all oh, yeah. the performers are slowly yeah. strip themselves of their costumes which are really dramatic right um, yes. by Max Tan um, and, and in the end we see like they have been going through this effort and labour yeah. of putting up uh, a show for us um, I'm not sure about the budgetary or, or, or preoccupations that the show would have yeah. had right um, investing maybe more okay. in certain areas than others mm-hmm. um, and, and maybe you know for me that is the desire to to have it in a more informal space where I would be more yeah. forgiving of of um, the more DIY nature of a stage or props, right? Um, whereas kind of with this kind of proscenium stage, then maybe the, the expectation is set for kind of yeah, lavish yeah. scene. Right. Um, right. um, where, where I'm actually really quite forgiving of, 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 oh, you pick up a random thing and you can yes, become a prop, right? Or, so, or, so, so So in the end, they do try to reveal this labour to us. I mean, yeah. they've really gone to the ringer for three hours, yes. singing, dancing and acting. Um, and then it's all, all that stripped away and you see the, the, the whole troupe mm. of, of performers at the end. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, maybe that's still the itch that I haven't quite satisfied for myself to, to, to have Bang Saman take place in that more um, maybe accessible public space. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so 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 I didn't really answer your question, but <laughs> but that's maybe my no, where my thought like, went. Yeah. Thank you for that because that <gasps> makes so much sense. I think it was more of my expectations of yeah. like this show in Victoria. Yes. Yeah, 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 because I think that it brings into question, I guess, like accessibility, mm-hmm. and I guess like who did Shakespeare write his words for, mm-hmm. and why his mm-hmm. work has to be in a certain place, and right. like how we can how we can at least like translate these. Um, works into a more, I guess, general audience other than just people who understand theatre, yeah. you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. totally. Um, I do feel that Bangsawan Gemala Malam and the next piece, Devil's Cherry, they, they do situate us in something beyond uh, Singapore, right? Mm-hmm. We think of Bangsawan Gemala Malam set within a Nusantara environment in the Malay archipelago, um, the kind of maritime world that we've always been a part of as an island. Um, and, and the next piece, I think co-locates us with something further afield that we don't mm. quite expect, which is mm. Australia. Um, so the, uh, Devil's Cherry is by Kayleen Tan and Paul Ray, who of course were the co-founders of Spell 7, um, uh, kind of really beloved Singapore performance company. And then when they relocated to Australia a couple years ago, they kind of semi, I suppose, dissolved mm-hmm. Spell 7, even though they've, they've returned and maintained their relationship with Singapore in many, many different ways. Mm-hmm. So it's really exciting to, to see them both come back um, for this work at the Pasir Panjang power station. So it's a really kind of lyrical meditation centered around the lives of, of this couple, Debbie and Mo, played extraordinarily by uh, Lim Kay Siu and Yeo Sui Lin. Mm, and yes. they're out in the Australian bush, right? A very different environment for Singapore, trying to make sense of this natural world mm. um, to varying degrees of success. Um, and beneath that is kind of an undercurrent of loss that we don't quite figure out until later on. And it's kind of infused with with a bit of magic too, to kind of mm. bring that over from Bangsa Wanga Malam mm. um, of what happens in this really flat, endless environment. Um, and, and how we get lost, not just in space, but in time. Right. Um, and so... I know this sounds quite abstract, um, but yeah, they, they, they kind of encounter different beings who who uh, might be the devil, might right. be a spirit, might be a memory, might mm. be a story pa- from from dec- like yes. centuries past. You yeah. know, um, spirits or figures or, or personalities because of the like contestations of land. Yeah. Land so land. yes. So 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 that's kind of mm. um, where we begin with. I was sharing with this Singaporean couple in a very um, un, kind of unfamiliar terrain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to me, it was quite interesting personally because I, of my own experience with Spell 7's work, or at least Kayleen and Paul's work separately, their work tends to be really intimate, mm-hmm. right? Um, it happens on, on very deliberate um, micro scale, on a familial scale. They're mm-hmm. very interested in excavating their own family stories and finding what kind of resonances those can make with audience members. Um, so almost all of my experience with their work has been related to their family in some way. So that, of course, coloured my own interpretation right. of this piece. You know, I think about a couple relocating to Australia, then yeah. the, the, the kind of interpretation is quite immediate. Mm. Um, and also this is the first time, yeah, you see in the really cavernous space of the, uh, the old Pasir Panjang power station, when usually I would see them in like smaller studios or smaller environments, maybe the NUS Baba House, for example. Um, so that, that kind of was an interesting contrast to me. Um, so it was interesting to see them working at, at this scale and also a different kind of intercultural environment, right? Working with a lot of 
kind of these Australian touchstones and, and questions around um, the terror, the, the, I'm using air quotes, right, terra nullius of mm. Australian um, land that was taken from um, indigenous people and Singapore's relationship to that, right, which is a bit more tenuous or, or, or complicated. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious what both of you felt uh, mm. about experiencing this work, you know, maybe having had encountered Paul and Kadin's work before, maybe not, mm-hmm. um, and, and what this experience felt like for you as, as we opened this conversation. Right. I think two words that uh, I resonated with like as you were sharing, and thanks so much for sharing, because I feel like I think both me and Dia haven't had as like any <laughs> or very little uh, kind of real experience watching uh, Spell 7 shows or shows uh, or scripts written by Kevin Tan who's like you know quite a fantastic writer and very illustrious actually um, and uh, like intimacy is something that I feel people always say with their works uh, and that kind of transportative um, and and I feel like uh, okay for me the script had that intimacy mm-hmm. and then it, it was very like lush and like tricksy as well which I really really enjoyed and I can see that kind of intimacy at play in the writing. Um, uh, and then, but then for me, like where I felt like maybe certain things didn't work as well, and perhaps Bangsawang Gamalam Malam is like the direct opposite, was like mm. the exchange of energies with the, with the audience, you know, or like yeah. reaching the audience. So for me, like because of the, the cavernous uh, Pasir Panjang Power Station, which I feel mm. is, I mean, I'm not sure, but it's a SIFA venue this year, right? And it's a venue that's very much connected with Cake Theatre and um, and Natalie Hennedigi of Cake is the festival director as well. So I kind of felt like um, placing or locating the intimate story in that space where we were kind of far away from the yeah, performers. Yeah. And then I was all the way back. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And we were made to wear the, the headphones, the headphones right? yeah. which, um, you know, were, were, worked really great and you could hear everything like really clearly and things like that. But for me, it distanced myself from... Uh, I was I felt very distant and uh, sometimes alienated from um, the performers and then uh, and it, it consequently the story in a way and the show and um, you know when I was thinking about the show I felt like oh you know I feel so I feel so sad because I can see what what um, I can see the intimacy but I can't reach it in a way you know yeah. or they're not reaching me um, but um, I wonder now whether discomfort was actually the point I mean I'm not sure. Um, because, you know, I when I was listening to the dialogues, um, I don't know, something about it felt very like lonely and isolating, even even my experience of it. Like so to me the audience the, to me the characters were lonely characters. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like I felt like when they're talking to each other they were not really communicating and it was very yeah. frustrating. Uh, yeah. and I could really like kind of empathize in that. But then I'm also I also feel isolated as an audience member from the person next to me. And I don't know whether y'all felt this, but since the pandemic, like you know, social distancing, right? So that day when I went, I was like, oh my god, I'm so close to the, the person next to me. I'm like almost touching them. And I'm like, I'm so close. But then after that, like you're but then because but you're so close but then later on you're meant to like ignore everyone and just yeah. be like focused and then for me like somehow it was all at odds uh, mm. and in the end I kind of felt like very removed from the story or the experience yeah I think I think having the headphones on um, disrupted the experience a little bit for me because it started to hurt at certain oh, points yeah. uh, I, I don't know if it was because I didn't adjust the headphones properly or something but it, no, a lot of people did say like it was a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, 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 and I thought that 
which, which was I think a bit of a shame for me because like I wanted to keep listening and I wanted to keep like experiencing all like these um, sounds that you don't usually get when mm. you like go to live performances because I felt like that the headphones lent like oh I could hear like certain sighs that were being right. raised and like certain sounds that were like, in the background that you usually don't get when you like see everything like heard on a speaker right but because it hurt I had to like take off the headphones for a while and I realised that oh okay when I take it off I can't hear anything from yeah. the outside and I was like oh well like, uh, like do I sacrifice the performance for like a few seconds while my ears kind of like recover from how much the right. headphones hurt yeah. and I think also like like you mentioned the, the feeling of like isolation because um, like at least on the day that I went um, uh, I had like a small exchange like with uh, the person who sat next to me okay um, like at first he was like, oh, then is anybody sitting here? And I was like, oh, no, like, go ahead. And he was like, and we just had, like, a small, like, conversation because, right. like, you know, we were, like, at the show together and he was like, oh, I'm sorry if I, like, uh, you seem a bit, like, far away. And I was like, yeah, I was just kind of, like, zoning out before the show. And, and yeah, and, and I think that, that sort of, like, communal feeling that I mentioned, mm. like, in Bangsawan, like, it was there for me, like, a brief moment. I was, like, you know, talking to the stranger and, like, being comfortable in his presence and suddenly, you know, the you have the sifa she's going on like, oh please put on your headphones <laughs> and we were in the middle of a conversation oh, and I was right, right, a little bit like oh I was kind of sad because like there was a chance I could have experienced like this show with a new friend mm. but we had to like put the headphones on mm. and like stop talking to each other and like just right. experience it separately and only after the show I was like yeah how'd you find it mm, you know right. I think that sort of like separation and isolation mm. maybe it is deliberate yeah because, I, yeah, yeah I actually felt maybe quite differently um i i did feel the isolation felt important because here we have a couple kind of stranded right in the middle of an outback which is a very unfamiliar environment i would say right to most singaporeans and 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 you know the desert and and the bush and the wilderness is something we are not confronted with so actually the, the the having the kind of earphones clamped around my head and also wearing a mask yeah. It was a very interesting kind of sensory deprivation <laughs> experience, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so I felt like this lone planet <laughs> orbiting this this piece, mm. which which almost feels really alien, right? The 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 set um, by Chi is this kind of, it feels like terraces, right? Yeah. In 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 emerging in the middle of, of of like an island in the middle of this power station, um, and of course Kaylee and Nepal often use binaural headphones and earphones in their work mm. I think partially to allow you to go on that very solo journey right mm. you will you will pay attention or be attentive to very specific things or you might zone out right yeah. I know some people have very different relationship to audio yeah. um, as someone who listens to a lot of podcasts mm. I, I, I'm very comfortable right. with, with listening to a work but I think I feel um, like in a lot of Spell 7 works, it's okay if you drift or ruminate and, and go on a tangent away from that narrative and then find yourself circling back or, yeah. or caught by a sound, by a moment. Um, so so I, it was a very kind of like hypnotic experience for it me, kind of floating in this, in this space, non-space, yeah. and watching these enormous kind of projections on the screen. And then also I did what you did, right? Which is, I was really curious what the performance would sound like if I did not have yeah. the headphones on. And then realizing they were not speaking at more than the volume of a whisper was just really interesting to me that they could they could speak so softly in this enormous space and yet kind of find their Mm. way to to our ears so i i i appreciated the ambition of the work because i i i find it i really could feel paul and kayleen maybe this is me like kind of 
my, my own interpretation layering over the work, mm-hmm. kind of rediscovering the, the place that they have uprooted to, right? They spent right. decades in Singapore making their home here. What does it mean to be encountered with the history of another place mm-hmm. that you that is so foreign to you? And, and I mean, the Australian outback is dangerous. <laughs> Everything can kill you in Australia. Yeah. Um, and also very different relationships to land, right? And settler colonialism. Yeah, um, that was one of my yeah. first like thoughts when like when I like left the place yeah. and I was thinking like generally what do Singaporeans feel about their relationship with the land that they live oh. on because yeah. it keeps changing. Yeah. You know, we li- we live in such a like it's cliche to say, but like Singapore is so fast paced. Everything gets renovated so quickly. Everything gets demolished so quickly. So I felt like the show gave space to like, Mm. what if you could just be Mm. on this space of land, knowing that it's not yours. Mm. And, but at the same time, having to experience the the rules of that land and Mm. having to like, I think towards the end where Mo uh, is suddenly like, uh, confronted with all like, um, the elements of nature that he once used to be so happy with, but suddenly, oh, it's too hot. He feels like he's gonna die and like, there's no water and suddenly there's all these like animals around him that he used to be so friendly with but then like uh, he's afraid because he's alone yeah you know i thought that was such a really um mm. it, it, yeah, yeah the the experience was really i guess for me i, I felt for mo because every time and i think it was quite nice for me at least to experience devil's cherry because i had like spent like a few days like in sambawang and like you know Sembawang. yeah yeah no because there's like a Sembawang beach and yeah. like the the greenery that's in Sembawang and i i also felt like more in that i felt yeah. so out of place i was there with like a bucket hat and like smearing all the sunscreen on my face i was like oh no it's so hot today and and just kind of like letting myself experience what life could be like without you know having to like see so many cars and everything yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it really reminds me of how severed we are from the yeah. natural world, and and to to see like such classic Singaporean tourist traits, like oh my god, I got to like put sunscreen on my on my head, right? <laughs> you know, to to encounter the elements. I think they really get that fish out of water thing of of these kind of Singaporeans bred on Singaporean exceptionalism, encountering a place that just does not want them there, right? Yeah. You you are, and also kind of. Um, showing how divorced we are from our own reality sometimes. So, so yeah. Mo is obviously going through a, a great grief, right, to do with his, his daughter and just like willfully ignoring it, right? The, the couple, their marriage is splintering, yeah. right? They're, they're only held together by the rituals of their relationship, mm. right? Mm. Oh, I brought this back to ritual. Yay! Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, 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 you know, the, the little DNA rituals the that they... Ritual. They... they, 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 <laughs> they you know, the that. making breakfast for each other, yeah. the way in which a long married couple, um, which I sometimes recognize in myself, my husband, you know, the, the kind of little things that you do even without thinking, and that mm. is the only thing holding them together. Yeah. And everything else is conspiring, whether it's rain, right, um, um, kind of embodied by... Um, this amazing queer Australian dancer, Rena Peterson, mm. um, who's trained in Moiniatum. And and every little thing could could needle apart this relationship and set them on completely different paths, mm-hmm. right? And it's all it all orbits around the figure of this lost daughter. We don't really know what's happened mm-hmm. to um, this young woman, who's played by Liz Sargent Tan, um, who's really an extraordinary physical performer. And so there's a lot of these mysteries, right, that surround 
their relationships to to daughter and you can read daughter in many different ways um, if you embody it as a kind of physical or geographical relationship so so there, there felt like there were so many ideas in this rich text that I wanted to kind of reach out to and play with mm-hmm. and, and I wonder if they will continue to revisit right. this work um, because I know in past works for example um, they have a duet series that began with with before the birth of um, their daughters, um, Sama and Lola. Um, and duets grew as their family grew. Um, and then I also watched family duets at the Esplanade, which involved Kayleen's mother, Eleanor. And so you see these themes of family, of intimacy, of relating to each other, um, get refracted through the points of their lives at which they're at. So I'm just wondering also, like, oh, would the same happen to this piece? You know, what what kinds of new ambitions are they bringing to this exploration in a very different kind of space than we expect that we expect them to be in? Mm. So I guess that's my open curiosity about the work and their creative trajectory, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, this discussion is really helping me like appreciate a lot of the mm. uh, of the show that I felt um, I lost because of. The venue. Mm. So, so, so for me, I think my, my main thing, uh, like dissatisfaction, is actually the venue. There's something about making, or maybe it's very Singaporean, kind of <laughs> make this inhospitable venue, like, livable for mm. a time or for our use at this, you know, a very specific use. But it's not, it wasn't designed for that, or it wasn't meant for that, you know. And we are making it into something like it's not to some extent... Or I think this performance has been talked about in terms of like site specificity and I wonder whether like that's really accurate because for me it was more of like what you said Corey about about um that Australian outback and the idea of that, that foreignness and alienation and, and things like that, which I don't know, it has resonances with this Pasir Panjang Power Station, <laughs> you know, and how Singapore always like makes these kind of places into like cool event spaces. Mm. Um, but at the same time, like that's where it lost me in terms of like the intimacy I really, really wanted and I really craved like walking with them, walking with these characters. I wanted to be closer. Yeah, I think maybe, I don't know if it's just also like a Singaporean thing, but when I go to shows at least, like at the commute, plays a big part in how I experience it. So like if I don't enjoy the commute, I will always feel like, yeah, I guess I'm here. You know? Like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in Panjang Power Station. How nice. I live in Woodlands. So yeah, I think, I think that honestly that kind of destroyed my um, experience a little bit. But I, like I said, it could just be my Singaporean speaking in how I want things to be easy. But in reference to Devil's Cherry, I think like, it probably wasn't easy for uh, the couple to even get, yeah. you know, to be just exactly. yeah, 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 And yeah. they spent their life savings, I think, as, yes. as you mentioned in the play. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, I, I get mad when I have to spend, like, what, 190 <laughs> on an MRT trip just to go to Neverdorf Park. But right. they spent their entire life savings just mm. to be there and, like, to hopefully salvage something out of their relationship. But yeah. they maybe they get it, maybe they don't. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. So how did you find the journey to Pulau Ubin then? Because <laughs> we Maybe So this is the segue into Ubin. Ubin. Right. So um, I guess like a rough um, rundown of Ubin is that it's an immersive uh, theatrical experience where uh, participants are led through the island with uh, facilitators. They are uh, given... Um, a pair of headphones and a pair of, and a receiver to listen to all the um, 
interviews that are recorded um, for the work specifically, all that relate to um, a different person's um, experience with Ubin, whether it's because they work there or they've been there as a kid. Or... Yeah, there's just so many different um, uh, unique experiences that come with that tiny island. Um, and I guess to, to answer your question first <laughs> was that I honestly, I was very begrudging to go to Ubin <laughs> on the morning of the show, I was like, oh, today I have to go to Ubin. This episode is where we find out Jaya doesn't like to travel. So <laughs> I know, I really, far out. I really don't. For sure, yeah. Um, uh, I, I really hope nobody takes that personally because um, I think I'm just a young Singaporean who values <laughs> convenience over everything. Right. But I did think that the trip to Ubin was worth it because, um, like I said, I really I don't think I spend that much time in greenery right and having to kind of like walk around for two hours and just kind of it was like being led by my parents where <laughs> you know uh, we have to we have to be in this greenery to fully experience it right. and to fully understand why this place means so much to certain people because we all have different associations with different places mm-hmm. and i think it affects the way we review people and we view certain places yeah, so I guess like yeah, Ubin begins with with that journey through the island, and after that, um, after this kind of walk, and it's dusk, right? We we start the journey at six p.m. and it's getting progressively darker. While listening to these stories, we're also seeing kind of little excerpts of movement pieces that activate certain parts of the island, featuring three dancers, um, Sonia, Sufri, um, and Shoi, and after this kind of meander, mm. almost a procession, because we're walking at a really slow pace, right, through Ubin. The second part of the work is a facilitated discussion where we're broken into smaller groups to have a, a deeper conversation, um, I guess fundamentally about various futures that we imagine for mm. for this offshore island, which is quite interesting because we are ourselves an island, but yeah. we're considered a mainland, right, um, to, to um, others. And it's, to me, it's interesting to think about how all these three works kind of relocate and dislocate us from ideas of land, right? We think of the the broader Nusantara sweep mm. and the Malay archipelago in Bangsawan Gemalamalam and other kind of cultural histories we are connected to and that we've inherited from from these um, performance histories and tropes like Bangsawan. In Devil's Cherry, we think about different relationships to land, um, Singapore and Australia, what contentions do we have over how we relate to the to the ground we set our feet on and who we pay respect to. Um, and then finally here in, in Ubin, we have an island that many mainland Singaporeans, um, as Dia has described, treat as a kind of tourist space, mm. right? People go there for their outdoor activities, for kayaking, um, you know, for, for fishing, for hiking. It's kind of seen as a leisure island, mm. I think, to a lot of yeah, Singaporeans. Yeah. Um, and and as with a lot of drama boxes, participatory work, they, they often try to get us to pay attention to 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 the residents of these spaces, right? And they've done this, for example, in um, Ignore Land of Its Loss, where they looked at the now demolished Dakota Crescent. Um, um, that used to be right next to the Goldman Arts Centre and now has been completely flattened. Mm-hmm. And then they also did this with uh, Bukit Brown, right, in the cemetery Dawn and Dusk back in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, even as the kind of very heated debates around the future of Bukit Brown were unfolding. So Ubin is a bit different in that 
I suppose there's no immediate threat, right, to to the land use on Ubin. Of course, although I'm, of course I'm sure there's land <laughs> development planned. Um, so there's, I think it, one yeah. of the facilitators mentioned that actually yeah. they said that the government can claim back the land yeah. any time that they want. Although I feel like that is an existential threat that most spaces in Singapore do face. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, um, so absolutely, um, you're, you're totally right about that, but also maybe more existential than immediate at this point in mm. time, I suppose, to me at least, my reading of the work. I mean, I've been to Ubin a number of times, and I feel like for a lot of people who were there, especially the ones who I feel are not usually theatre-goers, I felt that they, they and actually me were there because also because Ubin at night is so interesting. Absolutely. So, like, even if you go there every, all the time, it's, unless you stay overnight, very rarely do people get to experience Ubin at night. And, yeah. and so I, I enjoyed like the, you know, the meditative kind of walk uh, at the start. I mean, so it felt like two parts, right? And then the second part with the, the, the socially conscious, like participatory discussion, um, like for me, the, the kind of like, I almost felt like there needed to be like a second act or, or something where, where we could segue into like, okay, what is our stake in, in this future of Ubin? Because in a weird way, the first part, even though it's very invitational and you feel the pull and you really, um, like the stories were so beautiful and the anecdotes and we heard the actual voices, right, of the, of the like, these, con- like, various communities around Ubin, um, um, I didn't feel like I was, I was, I was the word, like, I can even speak for Ubin, mm-hmm. I guess. And maybe it speaks to, like, what it means to be a Singaporean, but yet <laughs> feeling like you can't speak for Ubin. Maybe yeah. like we are so, you know, it's so weird, right? Like, even, Cory, when you say, like, we are the mainland, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, mm-hmm. suddenly we are the the dominant force, and that's so alien. It's a manandrung, yeah. Yeah, and, um... It's a very funny reconciliation that exactly. you have to like, think about when you go to that. Room. Yeah, and and I and I think it's it's like perfect. I I think it makes sense to bring it up, but for mm. me, it's like how. Like, so how do you um get people like really feeling invested in um. Firstly, they may just be there because they just love the idea of going to Ubin at night and they're taking a lot of photos and like people are taking like TikToks and things like during the first part, right? So then how do you segue into that into like, let's have a serious discussion about the future of Ubin. And I mean, it wasn't fully serious in a sense. Like there was still an element of play and exploration. So I remember like my, my, my group... Uh, one of, one of the futures of Ubin was like oh like discovering a magical durian plantation that can like heal like has healing powers you know and and but then we had to also think of Ubin's like very real like the threats like fa- mm. facing it and then we couldn't really reconcile it in mm. a weird way in the in the same way that I think maybe certain other groups did so it could be um like just how you know the groups are facilitated or the discussions and not everyone in my group for example was like really even interested in having the the, the discussion so I I had some frustrations around like maybe more of like just group dynamics and and things like that but for me it was like how do you actually scaffold it so like maybe like what Corey said like we feel an immediate investment and stake in. Um, in the future of Ubin, just because in the first part, I'm almost I'm almost lulled into feeling like, um, or I'm I'm almost allowed to still stay in like touristy mode if I wanted to, you mm-hmm. know, if I really didn't feel like, yeah, I'm super generous about it in a sense. Yeah, I felt differently actually. Okay. Like because you said that you felt this like immediate need to like address what our state in like Ubin is. Mm-hmm. I feel like I didn't need to have that discussion immediately. Because there's something yeah. very surreal, I guess, about having to like 
exist within um, nature and in somebody else's land and completely experience their words through your ears for like two hours. Mm. And I thought that was a really, for me, it was a very effective way of trying to communicate how um, different we really are in terms of um, the experience. Like, yes, the country that we live in may be the same, but there's this really huge gap between the way we mainlanders feel and the way the urban residents feel. And I think the act of being, just having, yeah, just having to like be and be in a space and just listen. And I think, I think we don't have enough of that in, mm-hmm. you know, I guess in the mainland. And I, I thought that the discussion kind of disrupted the way that I could just be, right. you know, because that's, like you said, we can't speak for the Ubin yeah. residents, but isn't that what most people want? To just be able to be, to just be able to exist. Mm-hmm. It's the it's like, you know, it's the basis of why people fight for certain rights because, you know, especially, I mean, I'm just relating this to myself as a queer person, especially with the whole discussion about 377A mm. and like, thing not happening today. Mm. It's, you know, the, the whole discussion of being allowed to exist in a place that does not want right. us, you know? Right. And not everything yeah. has to be like suddenly politicized. Yeah, like, yeah. Because like, let's decide now on this thing. Yeah, because was that not the point? Mm. To understand like our relationship with this land that we see for leisure like you know yeah just trying to like construct the way we feel about our own land as well mm. yeah that, that that was just how i felt that. Mm. Yeah. yeah and i do think um maybe in other pieces i really appreciated this about drama boxes well the way they kind of orient us to paying attention attention to things that we often overlook um, I, I think I could feel some of it here. Um, I mostly enjoyed observing how people were relating to Ubin in the right. large groups we were in. You know, people kind of judiciously spraying mosquito spray, <laughs> you know, um, or, or being so unused to having no light pollution at all, right? Yeah. As we were walking through, through the darkness, a lot of people, I think, saw had, had to lean on the crutch of handphone kind yeah. of torchlights, which will immediately disrupt everyone else's uh, adjustment to the darkness. Yeah. And it did feel, you know, as someone who does, uh, has visited Ubin a fair amount, that we stuck quite safely to, to the main parts. You know, I understand the, 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 the risk that, that performance companies take when they bring audience members to an outdoor space and how to kind of wrangle audience members and scaffold their mm. facilitation, uh, scaffold their engagement with the place such that no one gets hurt, right, mm. or, or injured. But it felt very, almost too careful. Mm. Um, the way we kind of ushered, you know, down down these uh, these paths. And I, I think so much about um, the wildness of, of the space Ubin has to offer. Um, and yeah, I, I was just alighting on, on, on these small attentions, you know, mm. seeing hornbills or, or kind of white-bellied sea eagles go by in the distance. Yeah. Um, these are the things I was paying attention to, sometimes more than the performance activations itself, yeah. because Ubin is so, so rich as a site with, mm. with images and with beings that we don't normally encounter on the mainland. Um, yeah, but I think then it felt for me like, um... I, yeah, I kind of disconnect between these movements and these scenes uh, kind of articulating what text and speech cannot mm. and then our desire to immediately give that language and yeah. vocab in yeah. the second half of the facilitation which 
almost felt like two different pieces entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think they can form a certain coherence. I've seen drama box do that incredibly effectively with other work about space and contestation. But here, I'm, I'm not sure why it didn't quite fall into place for me. Yeah. No, I, I know. I feel like um, with Neighbour, I don't know. I feel like we know what our relationship is to like endangered sites on the mainland. And it's not easily transferable to this space on Pulau Ubin because mm. it has its own... Yeah, it has its own identity. It has its own, a lot of things that we yeah. barely scratch the surface when we walked for that two hours, you know? Yeah, and, and there's only so much that anecdotes can really say. Yeah. There's so much to that and like... I feel like there's just so much to like know about beyond just the the way that people live and the way that people experience things. Mm. Yeah. So, I don't know. So that, that, that participatory bit really um, like uh, felt jarring and I, and I really wanted to enter into it because like, I love drama boxes, like participatory um, works, like always. Um, but I almost felt like the initial question was already very ambitious and like, um, as, 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 at least in my group, like people didn't understand the initial question actually, but it was like, um, what was the question? The, the initial kind of thinking about your vision for hmm. oh, it yeah. could it could be a very vision, kind yeah. of it could be a completely wildly imaginative uh, vision for Ubin like yes. you know monkeys cycling to produce kinetic energy to power the island you know yeah, they were thinking yeah, yeah. at that kind of scale sometimes of yeah. of absurd abs- yeah absurdity mm-hmm. um, which can be quite fun yeah. but also it didn't allow us to kind of make sense of our immediate relationship with this yes. space and in my group. Um, there were certain uh, participants who, who kept asking, but, but what are the parameters? Because we're on a really real island. Yes. It feels very difficult for me to imagine these absurd situations when thinking about a very tangible place. Oh, so, yeah. so there was someone in my group who kept asking, but, but what are the parameters for these, for these speculations? Yeah, because, like, right? To some degree, we want to respect the yeah. space that already exists. Yeah. Yeah. And like we, I think no matter like, who you are and like where you come from, you can acknowledge that this is such a real and whole space that people live in people make yeah. their livelihoods here whether tourists come there or not like this is their home and it feels very i guess alien mm. to speculate mm. on somebody else's like place of stay i think the the, the thing about the fun exploratory thing like the tone of it like i could never as in i i kept making jokes <laughs> in my group i mean partially to like break the ice but mm. also like I was like, Ami, as in, I thought it was all exploratory. So mm. we could like, it could be like crazy and like not have logic. But then um, I realised the facilitator was sometimes like, maybe the way they brought in like, okay, but then reality is this or reality is like, they can't get water actually. And I'm like, oh shit, are we actually talking about actual future? Then I got mm. a bit like, are we just play acting or are we actually being a bit serious? Are these suggestions going somewhere? And I um, and I felt like um there was never a clear like charting of like what maybe like what is it called the parameters like what what where is this going what are we talking about and um and then some people are just still in the kind of I guess touristy mode or like very just like give me give me things to um listen I don't wanna you know give you anything so um yeah and then and then the closing I guess maybe we can just talk about we can talk about the closing I felt the closing was very like like tie a ribbon on this thing with this like act of offering to Ubin and I felt like oh that's a bit convenient because like we haven't really done we've not done anything and we like yeah it was very twee as well I felt 
twee? Twee. Like, like, oh, like clean this boat and mm. release offerings to Ubin. And I really wanted to be part of that, but I felt like I didn't deserve it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think I really appreciate all the work that Drama Box does when it comes to allowing us to question our relationship to land that we take for granted, right? They do this, they've done this with previous sites, like I mentioned earlier, with Bukit Brown and with Dakota Crescent. Um, and also with The Lesson, right, which is kind of a participatory theatre model that draws from but doesn't replicate. I think it develops um, a lot of the practices in Boal's Theatre of the Oppressed um, and, and kind of pedagogies of the oppressed to allow people to, to think about their responsibilities to their own environment, right? Um, and, and here, I, yeah, I think I'm still, I'm still, I'm, I'm still really struggling with, with why I felt perhaps this, this didn't sit quite so well with me as previous explorations. Um, and I think one thing that I truly loved about um, The Cemetery, Dawn and Dusk, which was about Bukit Brown in 2015, is that they really made us work for, work for the payoff yeah, which is not a great term to use, but they really made us work for it. Yeah. We woke up at 4 a.m. in the morning to go to this cemetery, which was really still under contestation at that moment. We witnessed this movement piece as the sun came up. I mean, in Ubin, it's a sunset that we experienced, right? So things get darker and darker. Um, and and there's a kind of respect that you have because you, are, you know... Not, that you're stepping on kind of sacred or spiritual land. So there's a kind of care and respect that people take when walking through the cemetery because there's that immediate awareness that you're in a spiritual space that's not your own. And then um, you're given a whole day to kind of sit with this experience, right? To think about this, to let it sediment in your half-awake, half-asleep brain. And at night, you get to watch um, in a black box a verbatim theatre piece put together from all the speeches, the press releases, the newspaper articles um, about... Um, the struggle for Bukit Brown, you know, not not unlike the kind of um, stories we hear in our ear, right? When when we we kind of listen to the stories of Ubin, but the the that kind of future of Bukit Brown felt so potent mm. in that moment because we had really sat with it for a longer period of time, yeah. at least, um, to with both the inarticulacies of the struggle taught through movement through music through the elements and then also through kind of yeah people's very real struggle for for a site Mm -hmm. so so to me i suppose it's always been an example of like wow this is what it's like to to work with a contested space Mm -hmm. and for me the stakes for ubin even though we have the existential kind of crisis around land in singapore um and maybe they did want us to feel like voyeurs kind of like intruding into people's spaces but that discomfort wasn't sharpened enough yeah. for me to be like, oh yes, this is very deliberate. I'm I'm here gawking at people, and I should really reflect on that. Yeah. You know, it didn't quite have that that sense for me, mm-hmm. and and it felt really strange to condense, you know, the kind of lush sprawl of Ubin with all its histories into that really short kind of engagement that we had with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I don't want to come across as prescriptive or, or dramaturgical in this moment. Maybe just see this as a reflection of my own cravings rather mm-hmm. than anything the company could have done or, mm. or, or did. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe also because I mean for me at least mm. I don't think I've heard any urgency around Ubin that isn't that threat, mm. I think. No, which is why I feel that we needed maybe more time or more consideration because I feel as in 
and again maybe they purposely yeah. but I feel like it could be yeah it's not it's not in at threat now yeah. but so why not pay attention to it now right yes. technically like why must we wait until like tomorrow when we're gonna lose the like residents have to absolutely. be evicted or whatever yeah. so I feel like there is a bit like that maybe that's what they wanted absolutely and I really think yes you know we should offer care thought and attention to sites that we take for granted absolutely and I I, I always appreciate when pointed in that direction. We shouldn't always need a political stick to fight for something, to yeah, care for its yeah. maintenance, right? Yes. To to do the day-to-day maintenance work of a place. So, yeah, so maybe maybe that's the reorientation, right? Instead of like, um, let's solve this problem yeah. for, for Ubin Islanders now. What are those rituals of maintenance that we, mm. we should do, right? As people who have a stick, not mm. in Ubin necessarily, but in this country. Mm. Um, mm. Right, everyday acts of maintenance are deeply political. Mm. Right, where we where we put our park our attentions. Right, what we are sensitive to, what we choose not to ignore, even though everyone else is ignoring. Mm. You know, I think I and I appreciate work that points us to that everyday practice of politics, not only the gestures of performative politics. Right, protests yeah, yeah, or yeah. electoral politics. Right, voting. Those are very obvious kind of. Um, um, kind of political gestures, but I think what um, I, th- I think maybe many of these works are also pointing us to are those tending of the day-to-day things that form the basis of our living together, mm-hmm. right? And and even if they struggle with it or they grasp at it, I'm still very appreciative um, of these orientations, right? I feel like yeah, Drama Box pays great attention to to these things, and that's why I I'm always marvel at, at their work in the mundane and the everyday, yeah, right? Yeah, tenderness is also yeah. so deeply political. And Absolutely. Really it. Yeah, and, and you know, even Bangsawan Gamalamalam, right, to imagine um, a space of great maritime or, or power, right, in, in a place that's so deeply colonised by so many different colonisers. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in terms of uh, Devil's Cherry to allow us to think about land in a very different sort of way, um, and what we claim as ours. So I, I do think all these are political on many different levels. I wonder what audience members, other audience members took away from it, whether they thought as deeply about these issues in watching or if they didn't want to sit with it mm. and, and turn their attentions elsewhere. And then I wonder, you know, how do we cultivate um, audience members who who are willing to stick out the investment of shows that might be long, mm. that might be difficult to get to, to hike to. Um, yeah. What do we offer them to allow them to, to think of these journeys as also pleasurable, you know, especially if they are new to performance and, yeah. and, and don't have the patience sometimes for work that is a little slower, mm. a little more repetitive. You know, I think it's also valid when they have responses that are not as generous, yeah. right? If, yeah, they don't have, a, you know, they don't see a reason to go. So, yeah, I wonder how it, how we can cultivate patience and capacity and pleasure mm-hmm. for more difficult work. And yeah. I mean difficult in that maybe it's, yeah, you know, like there are conditions or tropes or genres or ideas that are not immediately accessible or decodable yeah. to people. Thanks so much, because I feel like uh, this discussion has really helped me, like, appreciate and, and kind of re-look at some of the things that I was feeling about this individual works as well. So yeah. that's actually been great. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I'm, I, I mean, I guess personally I'm also curious where, where Natalie Hanadige goes next. I think yeah. this was her yeah. first outing um, as festival director and it's been quite interesting to see 
how different the personality and the curatorial approach of each director has been. And I feel like the first year is always a settling into what we mm. expect um, of this person. Also the person for themselves, right? Getting used to working on this time frame and this scale. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I do wonder what the next two outings will be like. Yeah, looking forward to the next two years. Yeah. Um, so with that, uh, thank you so much to <laughs> our special guests for your generous sharing. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye.